0: Welcome to What's Up Wednesday. In these short episodes, I will summarize a recent study or journal article related to obesity management and discuss how to incorporate this latest science into your clinical practice. And of course, I'll be sure to include links to the articles in the show notes. So let's jump in. Hello friends and colleagues and welcome back to the Gaining Health Podcast. It's me, your host Carly Burridge, and we're back for another episode of What's Up Wednesday. So today we are going to discuss a new clinical practice statement or CPS statement that was released in the journal Obesity Pillars, which is the official Obesity Medicine Association journal. And the title of this clinical practice statement is Obesity, Diabetes, Mellitus, and Cardiometabolic Risk, an Obesity Medicine Association Clinical Practice Statement 2023. And this was first published on uh, January 27, 2023. And the authors are Harold Bays, Shagoon Bindlish, and Tiffany Lowe Clayton. So, this review is intended to assist clinicians in the care of patients with the disease of obesity and type 2 diabetes. This clinical practice statement provides a, simplifi- a simplified overview of how obesity may cause insulin resistance, prediabetes, and type 2 diabetes. And it provides an algorithmic approach towards treatment of a patient with obesity and type 2 diabetes with a treat obesity first. As a priority, they state that the treatment of obesity and type 2 diabetes might best focus upon therapies that not only improve the weight of patients, but also improve the health outcomes of patients, such as cardiovascular disease and cancer. And that patients with obesity and type 2 diabetes should optimally undergo global cardiovascular risk reduction using things like healthful nutrition and physical activity weight reduction, smoking cessation, as well as optimal control of glucose, blood pressure, and blood lipids. They go on to say that among patients with type 2 diabetes, administration of metformin, glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonists, or GLP-1s, and or SGLT2 inhibitors may variably reduce body weight and reduce the risk of cardiovascular events, Whereas administration of sulfonylureas and many of the insulins may actually increase body weight and may increase the risk of cardiovascular events. So it's really great that we've had these new medications for the treatment of diabetes that not only help with blood sugar control, but also with weight and actually have been shown to reduce cardiovascular events. So these are very exciting developments. So next I'll go over the top 10 takeaway messages that they have in this CPS statement regarding obesity and elevated blood glucose. They say that the adiposopathic consequences of obesity may promote hyperglycemia and the development of type 2 diabetes mellitus, and that higher doses of among more effective anti-diabetes medications are undergoing cardiovascular disease outcome trials to determine potential cardiovascular outcomes benefits when specifically used to treat obesity okay? Especially some of these newer, highly effective anti-obesity medications. So we have some of these cardiovascular outcome trials already showing benefit for diabetes. We do not have them yet for obesity, but that is in the works and hopefully we'll have those soon. So here are their top 10 takeaways. One, the disease of obesity may have adiposopathic consequences that promote hyperglycemia. So prediabetes or type 2 diabetes. And by the way, in case people are not familiar with the term adiposopathy, um, you'll hear it frequently. And it basically means that sick fat disease, right? So this is when adipose tissue is Force to hypertrophy beyond its natural storage capacity. And when that happens, the adipose tissue starts to behave differently and there starts to be a different, different levels of these adipokines that get released. And this is really what we consider that sick fat disease. This is where it's starting to secrete a lot of the pro-inflammatory cytokines and things like that. So when we say adiposopathy or or adiposopathic, that's what we're talking about, just to be clear. All right. Number two, type 2 diabetes is a major risk factor for cardiovascular disease. We know that, right? Number three, cardiovascular disease is the most common cause of morbidity and mortality among patients with obesity and type 2 diabetes, as it is for the general population. Number four, patients with obesity and type 2 diabetes should optimally undergo global cardiovascular risk reduction with those means that we mentioned earlier, the nutrition, physical activity, weight reduction, smoking cessation, and optimal control of glucose, blood pressure, and blood lipids. Five, among patients with type 2 diabetes, administration of metformin, GLP-1, and or SGLT2 inhibitors may variably reduce body weight and reduce the risk for cardiovascular events and administration of sulfonylureas and many of those insulins actually may increase body weight and increase the risk of cardiovascular events. Very important for us to be aware of that, especially for people who might not be as up to date and might still be using a lot of the sulfonylureas or insulins, we really want to get away from that, right? And the diabetes guidelines support that as well. All right. Number six, some GLP-1 receptor agonists are indicated to treat type 2 diabetes and reduce major adverse cardiovascular events, or MACE, in patients with type 2 diabetes and established cardiovascular disease. So loraglutide, semaglutide, and dulaglutide have all shown that. Terzepatide is a glucose dependent insulotropic polypeptide or GIP receptor agonist and GLP-1 receptor agonist approved as an anti-diabetes medication. Okay. So this is that new medication. It's terzepatide, also known as Munjaro. Okay. Ongoing cardiovascular outcome studies are evaluating oral semaglutide in patients with type 2 diabetes in the SOL trial. Semaglutide 2.4 milligram sub-Q per week in patients with overweight or obesity. So that's the SELECT trial. And terzepatide in patients with type 2 diabetes. This is the SURPASS-CVOT trial. And also looking at terzepatide in patients with obesity, right? So, again, it's not approved yet for obesity, but these are the studies that are undergoing for the obesity indication. And that is the Surmount, those are the Surmount trials. And then once, this one specifically is the Surmount MMO. So, that's just to give you some updates on some of the trials that have already shown cardiovascular benefits and then also what's in the works currently. Number seven, GLP-1 receptor agonists generally reduce body weight and improve other cardiovascular risk factors via mechanisms both dependent and independent of weight reduction, okay? And represent a foundational mechanism integral to existing anti-obesity and anti-diabetes medications, as well as anti-obesity medications that are currently in development. Number eight of their top 10, they say that in patients with type 2 diabetes, several SGLT2 inhibitors are indicated as anti-diabetes agents that may reduce major adverse um, cardiovascular events, reduce heart failure, reduce cardiovascular death, reduce heart failure hospitalization, reduce renal kidney disease progression, and in some cases, reduce overall mortality. And SGLT2 inhibitors may also modestly reduce body weight and blood pressure. So especially in patients that are struggling with multiple of those conditions, SGLT2 inhibitors can be very beneficial. And just as a side note, this is my personal side note, I also think that this indicates that just the reduction of carbohydrates, so I do use SGLT2 inhibitors sometimes, But I also think that just reducing the intake, the oral intake of carbohydrates um, can have some of these similar effects. So I just, you know, as an aside, I think that's important to think about as well. Number nine, metformin may modestly reduce body weight in patients with diabetes mellitus and may or may not decrease cardiovascular disease among patients with diabetes, okay? And we know, again, this is a personal aside, metformin tends to show about a 3% body weight reduction when used by itself. And so it can often be, you know, an add-on that we use, even sometimes off-label, if people have insulin resistance, they don't have diabetes yet, even in prediabetes, that's considered off-label use, but something to to keep in mind when we're treating our patients. And lastly, number 10, several anti-diabetes medications are indicated to reduce cardiovascular events and similar agents at higher doses that are specifically used as anti-obesity Obesity medications do not yet have cardiovascular outcome data to support improved cardiovascular risk reduction. However, when accompanied by weight loss, many anti-obesity medications reduce blood glucose and other cardiovascular risk factors. So in conclusion, they say that type 2 diabetes is a common complication of obesity, which occurs as the result of adverse immunologic endocrinologic, endocrinologic and lipotoxic adipose tissue processes that contribute to insulin resistance and beta cell dysfunction. The determination as to whether these adiposopathic consequences ultimately lead to clinical metabolic disease substantially depends on the response of non-adipose tissue organs, such as liver, muscle, pancreas, Kidney and the brain. And many of the principles in the diagnosis and treatment of patients with obesity and diabetes similarly apply to patients with obesity alone. So, preferred anti obesity therapies for the treatment of patients with obesity and type 2 diabetes include those that reduce body weight, improve glucose levels and other metabolic parameters, and improve health outcomes such as cardiovascular disease. Several anti-diabetes medications have had clinical trials, clinical trial evidence to support clinically meaningful weight reduction and improvement in cardiovascular disease outcomes. And ongoing clinical trials are evaluating the potential cardiovascular disease benefits of terzepatide and semaglutide in patients with obesity, but without diabetes mellitus. So that is something that we have to look forward to. And given the number of obesity, sick fat diseases, or adiposopathy, and fat mass diseases, so those are the diseases that result from just the the weight, the excess weight on the organs and on the joints, and given that most of the patients in type 2 diabetes cardiovascular outcomes trials had uh, pre-obesity or obesity, this supports this idea of treat obesity first, as a therapeutic paradigm. So patients with or without diabetes who have acute illness should of course have these illnesses treat, be treated acutely, such as you know, if they have marked hyperglycemia, if they have uncontrolled high blood pressure, things like that, those should be treated. However, beyond that, treatment of obesity is the priority for most patients with obesity and type 2 diabetes with optimal therapies providing clinically meaningful weight reduction, therapeutic benefits, and or potential remission of the complications of obesity and improved diseased outcomes, for example, as it pertains to cardiovascular disease or cancer. All right. So that was kind of an outline and an overview of the clinical practice statement, from the Obesity Medicine Association as it pertains to obesity, diabetes, and cardiometabolic risk. I will, of course, include the link to the full article in the show notes. So take a look at it. It really goes into some of the pathophysiology as well, so we can really understand how it is that obesity can directly cause prediabetes and diabetes and cardiovascular disease. So there's a lot of really great information in there. So go check it out. And lastly, I also just want to thank everybody who has been listening to this podcast. You all have been so supportive. Thank you for everybody who has taken the time to review the podcast. And uh, we've gotten some great feedback. If you have questions, concerns, if there's certain topics that you would love to see covered on the podcast or certain guests that you would recommend, please feel free to email me at Carly, that's K-A-R-L-I at gaininghealth.com. And again, thank you so much for your support. And I'll see you back next week for another episode of the Gaining Health Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gaining Health Podcast. Don't forget to review and subscribe. And if you really liked it, consider supporting us on Patreon. Lastly, if you need resources and tools to help you start an obesity management program, be sure to check out gaininghealth.com. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on the Gaining Health Podcast.